Okay, guys, we are in lesson 25 today, so we're going to wrap it all up. And so I, I want you to notice, even as we go through this last chapter, can anybody tell me what nation has not been mentioned at all through any of our study? We've heard about several nations, okay? Anybody got to guess what nation has not been talked about? Yeah, America. Thanks, Bruce. You've had coffee this morning. Everybody else is mumbling, okay? Uh, yeah, America. All right, so I'm going to explain to you why. And so today, as we begin this final chapter and we look here, I think you and I need to understand some things because there's a lot of stuff that's out on the Christian airways today and you hear pastors and if you surf YouTube, which, okay, surf YouTube if you want, but just be aware, just because some guy says something that really sounds good doesn't mean that he's right. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because anybody can be on YouTube. We're on YouTube. So there goes the case. Everybody can be on YouTube, right? Okay. Uh, so um, America is not a focus of the scripture. Period. I don't care what some guy wrote a book and he had a dream and this is what this means in Isaiah about uh, what's going to happen with America and uh, the two towers and everything. There was a book like that. Um, it was a piece of junk, but there was a book like that. Okay, so it's not mentioned. Why? Because let's, let's be honest. We've been realizing this as we've done our study through the Old Testament. It's about several key figures when we look at scripture. It's about God, ultimately, right? The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? It's about uh, Israel. And that's it. Even as you get into the new, what about the church? Now, now listen, okay, we gotta understand the church in its proper place. The church isn't superseding everything the church is a reflection of God's plan as it is now, the mystery that Paul talks about, okay? The mystery. When we get into Ephesians, he's going to talk about the mystery. What is the mystery of Jew and Gentile coming together? And in Romans, it talks about us, the wild olive branches, that's us, we're wild, you're wild. Did you know that? Anybody tell you you're wild? You're wild. Being grafted into the root which is Israel. We share in the promises. So don't look for a specific promise about the U.S. there. And if somebody starts talking about that, you need to immediately shut them down in your mind. Because it's not about us. It's about God and his chosen people, and we get to share in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because here's the thing, as we've already mentioned, when the rapture comes... Who's not going to be here? Okay, Christian, yeah, but specifically who? The church. But who is still going to be here? Well, not just sinners. God's plan shifts then again to who? Yes, to Israel. Do you understand? And then when it finally comes to a conclusion with Israel, that's the end of things. That's when eternity begins. Do you understand? 
See, Paul talks about all Israel will be, will be saved in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, but he talks about until the fullness of the Gentiles. That word fullness can also be translated the full number of Gentiles. There is a number of Gentiles that need to be saved. We haven't reached that point yet. And when that happens, everything shifts, okay? So I guess I'm trying to tell you this. So when we talk about Israel here, and we look here at this prophecy of Isaiah, it's about Israel. Now, there's a lot of promises. We're going to see some promises that are made today. You're going to say, well, let's talk about Israel. It's not talking about me. No, 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 no. It's talking about you too, because here's why it's talking about you. Because you share in it. Did you understand? You share in the inheritance. You share in the promises. Do you understand? The promises that he gave Israel, you share in them. And I, you know what? I, I've met some folks, they just love Clearfield County. They never want to leave Clearfield County. They don't live, ever live, leave Clearfield County. They won't venture in anywhere else. They just love it, and they want to be here forever. Send me here, Jesus, when I die and go to be with you. Okay, when you die and go to be with him, you're not going to be in Clearfield County. You're going to be in the new city, Jerusalem. And you're going to be okay with that. So it's not about here. It's about him and his people. And we're a part of his people because of what? Because of salvation through Christ. And we're going to be with him for eternity in the new city. Do you understand what I'm saying? So is there a big, have I caused confusion? I see some confused looks. Maybe you need coffee, okay? All right, so let's get into it today. We're going to talk about God's promises fulfilled. And this is chapter 66, verses 1 to 24. Okay? 1 to 24. The Lord proclaims that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Now, this is, this is imagery. Okay? This is imagery. So it's not like God's feet are standing because he's sitting on his throne and he's using, a, you know, like... A, you know, an ottoman or something. He's not using the earth like an ottoman. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? If that's not the way it is. He doesn't have his pre feet propped up on the earth. This is just imagery, talking about the supremacy and the superiority of God. He's above us. And, and, and such that we would simply be something for him to prop his feet up on. So the Lord proclaims that no one can build a house for him. We say, well, they did. They built him a temple. No, that's not the point here. The point is, is that God is saying, I am superior. I am supreme. No one can build me a house. Even the temple that was built, when it was built by David, David said, God said to David, I didn't ask you to do this. I don't dwell in tents or houses. His presence is there, right? But nothing can contain him. So that's, that's the point. No one can build a house for him, all right? No one can build a house for him. Now, the Lord gives his attention to those who are poor in spirit. So here, it's talking about humility. God gives his attention to who? The humble. Now, is that 
an isolated thought here, or do you find that throughout the scripture? Yeah, throughout. God lifts up the what? The humble. What does he do with the proud? Yeah, he puts them down. Now, when we talk about pride here, I'm not talking about like I'm pr like so my my son Sawyer is going to be graduating from this Navy basic training this Friday. So Lori and I are going to hop in a vehicle and drive across the great unknown through Chicago, okay? And uh, we'll see how that goes and get there and get into a hotel, go to graduate. And we're going to be proud of our son, okay? And we say that. We're proud of our kids. You're proud of your kids, right? All right. That's not the same kind of pride that we're talking about here. When it talks about the proud or pride in the scripture, it's talking about you being prideful about yourself, lifting yourself up above others. And here it's saying that the Lord gives his attention to those who are poor in spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Who are humble. And in fact, isn't that in the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes in Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in what we know as the Beatitudes, a very famous set of statements, blessed are those, here's what he says, blessed are those, very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's talking about those who are humble, all right? Those who don't see themselves as being worthy or, or better than others, okay? Now, let's go on. So the Lord compares, he's talking about now, he's talking about the wicked here. So when we look at verses 3 through 6, it's the Lord's view of the wicked. So the Lord compares their religious rituals to the reality of their evil thoughts. So here's what he's doing. He's, he's saying, okay, I've got this guy, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to examine what he's doing religiously by his rituals and all the stuff that he does, and I'm going to compare that to who he really is as a person. Not just for, like for in, in our instance, the one or two hours on Sunday morning, but who is he the rest of the time? Not just when he's, quote, praying and saying the right things with me as, for, as to God, but who is he and how he acts with other people and the things that he plans in his hearts and, and, and so forth. So he's going to compare the reality of their, their evil thoughts versus what they're doing. And so he says, as they offer sacrifices, they were plotting evil in their hearts. So he's pointing out, so even as they're coming and offering sacrifices, and what would the sacrifices be made for? Their sin, Right? So even as they're coming and, quote, trying to do the things that are necessary to take care of their sin, they're, they're plotting what else they're going to do. And that's easy to do, right? I mean, it's easy to even be in church and think about other stuff. I remember, okay, I remember before I became a pastor going to church, and if I didn't have enough breakfast, sitting through the sermon and thinking about where am I going to eat afterwards, while the preacher's preaching or the singing's going on, I'm thinking about something else. I'm already making plans for the day. Do you know what I'm saying? That's a natural human tendency, right? Okay? 
However, he's saying here that in the midst of their, quote, religious activity and paying him homage and doing what they're supposed to do, they're already deciding what they're going to do wrong again. It's not even impacting what they're doing. Okay? It's not even impacting what they're doing. So they were not truly seeking after God even though they called, even though he called to them. They weren't really seeking after him. Even though God was calling to them, they weren't really seeking after him. They were seeking after their own thing. Now, let's stop for a moment. Is that easy to do? Do we all have that tendency to go there? Yeah, so, okay, so when we look at this, we're going to say, yeah, boy, those are scoundrels. I can't yeah, but we're all, we all have that tendency. And we can all find ourselves there, right? But here's the thing, just so you understand, notice how God is responding to that. It, it bothers him. He doesn't look at that really well. Do you understand? He doesn't look at that really well. So the Lord calls those who were persecuted for his sake. So here's what he's saying. He's calling to those who are persecuted for his sake. He's acknowledging them. He's calling to them. He knows that they're going through it. So, okay, so here's the thing. If you haven't realized it yet, when you become a Christian, you have a bullseye tattooed on you. It's a spiritual tattoo, but you have a bullseye. And even though we want to get along with everybody and have everybody like us, that's not true. Does everybody understand that? And you can, you can say, well, I've never done anything wrong to anybody. That doesn't matter. For some reason, people have a predisposition against you. Can I tell you, it's a spiritual thing. Because the children of the wicked are not going to like the children of the light. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even if they don't even know that they are the children of the wicked, they're not going to like the children of the light. The children of God. They just have a predisposition against God and anybody who represents him or follows him. And so when God says he calls to those who are persecuted for his name's sake, this is an acknowledgement. I am, he's saying to us who are, who are on the receiving end of the persecution in whatever form, I know you. I'm calling to you. I'm yours. Do you understand? Because when we're in the midst of it, what do we do? We feel isolated and alone, right? And we ask questions like, where are you, God? But God says, I'm calling to you. All right? I'm calling to you. Then he reminds us that the Lord will repay his enemies. God will repay his enemies. Where's the comfort in that? So he's saying, I call to those who are persecuted and I will repay my enemies. Where's the comfort in that? What's that? They'll get there. So what does that mean for you, Rob? Or we should rest in who? Yeah. Yeah, so 
God, they're going to get theirs. Is it necessarily in our timing? You know, my timing is, I, I, my timing is do it now. You, you know what I'm saying? But God's got another purpose, okay? But what he's doing is, is he's affirming, I'm calling to you, meaning I'm acknowledging you, I am calling you, I, I am there for you, but I'm telling you, I will, re, I will repay my enemies. And you know what? That, we know that's true, right? I mean, ultimately, that's true. Ultimately, everybody has to stand before the Lord and everything will be opened. And they have to give an account. You know, it's interesting. Okay, so if, if you go over to Revelation, okay? So Revelation, I'm talking about in the end, it's one of the letters to the seven churches. Let me find it here. See here, I just got to work my way through these. Okay, wait a minute. All right, it's not that one. I'm trying to find, I've got seven churches. I know it's two, it's the ones who are the persecuted ones. So hold on. I, I need the coffee this morning. So, all right. All right. It's not Sardis. I mean, it's not... Um, it's not Smyrna, so it has to be Sardis. Hold on. Okay. Excuse me, it's Pergamum. Oh, Philadelphia. Okay, here it is, guys. I'm sorry, I'm looking. I've got them all running through my head in the wrong way. All right, here it is. It's to the church of Philadelphia, verse 9, chapter 3, okay? Indeed, I will make some of those of the synagogue of Satan. All right, so these are, he's talking about Jews here who claim to be Jews, but they're not, so he refers to them as the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews, but are not, are not but lie. I will make them, so this is the enemies of God's people at this point. He says, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So there he's talking about to this church at Philadelphia who was really going some severe persecution by these, the Jewish synagogue there who did not want to believe. He says, I will make them come and 
bow down at you and acknowledge that I have loved you, that you were my children. He does make all things right, doesn't he? So one day, the people who are persecuting us, they have to acknowledge what? That we were God's. Do you know what I'm saying? That we were God's people. And it's not like they, they wanted to, but they're going to have to. Why? Because it's God who's going to say, hey, you need to acknowledge what they are, who they are, and so forth. So he says he will repay the enemies, okay? Now, when you get to chapter 66, verses 7 through 14, he's going to talk about hope and abundance. Okay, so again, he's going to use language that fits their agrarian culture, so he's going to use language that they would understand in their time because it's things that mean something to them. But the point is, it's going to be a time of blessing. It's a time of hope and blessing, okay? So Israel will be like a woman who gives birth to a son before she experiences labor pains. Okay, so everybody understands that giving birth is not a painless experience, right? So forget that they'll give you an epidural or whatever, okay? It's a, it's a painful experience, right? Here, he's given the illustration that Israel will be like a woman who gives birth without having any pain. That would be amazing, right? And a joyful thing. So something that they would understand, okay? Israel will return to the land quickly and joy will fill the people. Because the blessing of what they wanted was happening, Okay? So he's talking about this time of hope and abundance. They're going to go back to the land quickly, and they're going to be joy-filling the people. Peace will come to Jerusalem, and the wealth of the Gentiles will flow to her. So it's going to be a time of prosperity. Not that they had to work for it, okay, but that it's going to come to them from their enemies. It's kind of great imagery there, isn't it? Okay, great imagery. So the Lord will comfort Israel as a mother comforts a child. So the Lord will comfort her. Wow, Revelation chapter 21. He'll wipe away every tear. Comfort. Isn't that awesome? You know, I was talking... I was talking to somebody uh, here in the last week or so who uh, just recently lost their dad. And uh, so I was, I was telling them that I was praying for them and, uh, and, and just trying to encourage him that uh, allow the grieving process to take its time and that it will take its time. And that you will always miss that person. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I was reflecting with him about when my dad died suddenly. I said, that happened in 1986, so that's 30-some yeah, 30 years ago, I still grieve. Not openly grieve, but inwardly grieve. I think everybody understands that, right? Okay? And one day that'll be taken care of. 
One day that'll be taken care of because who will comfort us in our pain? The Lord. The Lord will comfort us in our pain, right? So this is what's awesome about the hope we have in the future. I mean, if we look at this world right now the way it is, I, I don't care what you think, every, if everything's going to get better or not. It's not. For all our advancements in science and technology and, and even in thought and so forth, it hasn't gotten any better. You still have the same problems, Right? Relationships, difficulties, difficulties with each other, wars, famines, pestilence. Death is still on the horizon. I, I don't know of anybody yet that has, besides Jesus, that has defeated death, right? It's not going to get any better. And the comfort comes later when he, he brings us comfort. So the Lord will comfort Israel as a mother comforts a child. Those who witness this will flourish, but his enemies will know his indignation. So Israel and those who are with Israel will flourish. But his enemies will know his indignation. How will they know his indignation? In the end, how will the enemies of God know his indignation? How will that be a constant reminder to them of, their, of the indignation that they'll be feeling? See some confused looks. What happens in the end? Where do the wicked go? Okay, you said it. To hell, that's right, okay, to hell. Now, would that not be a constant reminder of the indignation of God? Right? While who is flourishing? His people flourishing where? With him in the new city, in the new Jerusalem. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So those who witness, will, witness this will flourish, but his enemies will know his indignation. So the Lord will come in fury to execute his judgment. This is the hope we have, that one day God's going to set this all right. And when he comes, there isn't going to be any of this Mamsy pamsy stuff, he's coming and he's ruling with a rod of iron. Did you understand what I'm saying? Ruling with a rod of iron, he's going to be decisive. He's going to deal with it. So, again, this is about the judgment of the hope. So here it is. The Lord will judge all humanity and the enemies of the Lord will be slain. When he comes, the enemies of the Lord will be slain. And you see that, Revelation chapter, if you want to write this down with your notes, Revelation chapter 19. There it talks about how high the blood will be. Again, picturing the fact that there is death when he comes because he's going to come and fight against them with the sword of his mouth, with the word of God. Those who practice idolatry will be judged by the Lord. Now, again... You say, well, uh, most people around here don't have that problem, George. Yeah, but you don't understand what idolatry is. Idolatry is the worship of the substitutes for God. It's just that in their day, people made an image. We have substitutes for God in our culture, right? We don't have to make an image for it, right? 
And those who worship something other than God will be judged by the Lord. The Lord knows everything about humanity and his glory will be seen in his judgment. He knows everything. So, all right, let me ask you a question. Does anybody here ever, do, can say, can, they, can anybody here say, I remember every conversation I've ever had? No, nobody does, right? No. How many of you have said something stupid this week? Do you remember every stupid thing you said this week? Thankfully, no, but one day it will be revealed, right? Jesus says in the Gospels, what? And every idle word will be brought into what? Judgment. So the Lord knows everything. Everything. And his glory will be seen in his judgment. His glory will be seen as what? Righteous for what it really is. Because let's be honest, even though we have a, I think as far as the world is concerned, it has its problems. We have a pretty good judicial system in our nation. If you've been around the world, you understand that, okay? However, you and I can look at court decisions and shake our heads, right? Like how in the world did they make that decision or why did, you know, all right. So it's human, it's human, all right? But when God executes judgment, there won't be any shaking of heads. His glory will be seen in his judgment, period, bottom line, okay? Bottom line. Now, the Lord will send them among the nations to tell of his glory. So what is, what is Israel to do? Israel's not just going to be hanging out. They're going to go among the nations. This is during the millennium. And what? Tell of the glory of God. Tell of the glory of God. This will take place in the millennial kingdom. Believers from those nations will bring an offering to the Lord in Jerusalem. So here they are. They're going to go out when, the, when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. You know, the, the, Israel will then go out and, and tell the world of the glory of God. And those who believe will come to Jerusalem and what? Bring an offering. Bring an offering. The Lord will select some of, those, of these believers as priests and Levites to serve him. So he'll even select... Remember, in order to serve in the temple in the Old Testament, it was only reserved to, for who? The sons of Levi, right? And specifically the priests who were the sons of Aaron. Here it's saying that those believers among the Gentiles who will be getting saved in the kingdom, who will believe, they will be selected to what? Serve in, serve the Lord in the new city. In Jerusalem, during the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. The descendants of Israel will remain forever as the new heavens and the new earth. They'll remain forever. So the descendants of Israel will remain forever in the new heavens and new earth. All right, let me just kind of clarify something for you. We like to say, is it correct that it's, we like to say that when we die, we go to heaven. Is that a correct statement that we make? Okay. 
So let me, let me expand that for you. That is a general statement that reflects a greater truth. What do you mean? Okay. The greater truth is this. When you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. But your body remains until what? The rapture where it will be, when it will be raised up and you'll receive a new body. At that point, you're not going to heaven. You're going to be with Jesus, where? In the millennial kingdom, and then in the new heaven and the new earth. But specifically, the new earth and the new city. We will be a part of the new creation. Heaven is where who is? God. But God will come down to us, it says, and dwell in the new city with us. Now, having said that, so what am I saying? So when we say we're going to heaven, yes, everybody understands that. That's a general sense. But that doesn't mean you're going to be like they say on a cloud strumming a harp. First of all, that's not even in the Bible. But what it says in the Bible is you're going to be with the Lord where? In the new creation. In the new city. Where in the new creation there is no what? See, well, I like fishing. Get a new hobby. Because there's no sea. Uh, rivers, yeah, rivers of life, yes, okay. <laughs> there's still rivers, George. I can go fly fishing, okay. <laughs> if there's fish, okay. <laughs> but my, my point is, when we say that, I'm going to go to heaven, if we mean it, whether we realize it or not, in a general sense, in a specific sense, I'm going to be with Jesus where? In the new creation. In the new earth. In what? The new city. Because the old one, the old one has passed away. So again, that guy who loves Clearfield County, and boy, isn't it wonderful here? Look at everything. It's all going to what, folks? Burn up. Do you understand? It's all going to be done away with. All right, so now let's go on. All mankind will worship before the Lord. So this is where? In the millennial kingdom. They'll worship before the Lord. The wicked will endure eternal punishment in hell. That's just reality. I, I, as much as I would like to say everybody gets saved later on, that's not true. It's not true at all. We're done with Isaiah. He's finished out the book, kind of telling you your hope, and here's the reality of not knowing him. 